Pray this finds you having a blessed day. Looking forward to getting into our passage today. We've got a good one to get into as we are continuing um, in this section of the book of James concerning the tongue. And uh, last week we talked about the bit and the rudder. This week we're going to get into a really good passage and it's going to be talking about how that our tongue is compared to a fire. Now, the one thing that uh, you may be surprised about is you might be able to look at this passage and you might even have heard this passage preached a certain way. Well, I'm going to take it a different way. Um, and I'm going to take it away or take it in a direction, if you will, that I believe James was actually intending it. And I think sometimes we have kind of twisted it to make it uh, make it say what we want to. But what that does is that takes the light off of us, if you will. And if we're really looking at this passage right, what we can see is that James is really focusing on the individual. So, Without further delay, let's jump in. Verses 5 and 6 of chapter 3 of the book of James. He says, So too, though the tongue is a small part of the body, it boasts great things. Consider how a small fire sets ablaze a large forest. And the tongue is a fire. The tongue, a world of unrighteousness, is placed among our members. It stains the whole body, sets the course of life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. All right, so we've got some really good um, verses here to work with. And again, last week we looked at the first part of the description of the tongue and that it was uh, a bit in a rudder, and we talked about how that um, manipulation can take place, that we can just very simply get off one degree and it can make a world of difference in the way that we do things. And that we have to be very cautious. Because again, remember here, um, we're talking about what James is referring to back in verse 1. Not many should become teachers. So you have to keep the context going here. And the reason why I said what I said in the opening is I have heard this passage preached. And I have heard people take this passage and they love to talk about it from the standpoint of, well, look what kind of damage you can do in the church if you run off at the mouth and you do this and you do this. All right? They'll take this passage about the tongue and the damage that a small fire can cause, and they'll use it concerning gossip, and they'll use it for things like that. And you know what? To a point, yes, gossip can do a lot of damage in a church. Um, one person starting a rumor can do a lot of damage in a church. You can consider that a small fire. The problem is, is that's not really what James is talking about here, okay? So what we've got to do is keeping it in the context of what James is talking about. And not many should become teachers. Looking at your position and your call that God has got you in. Looking at your influence because you may say, well, you know, Jared, I'm not a pastor. I'm not a preacher. I'm not a Sunday school teacher. I'm not a, uh, you know... I don't teach students and youth and children, so does this really apply to me? Yes. And you know why? Because you have a circle of influence. Every single person has a circle of influence. 
there are certain people that will listen to you more than to listen to anybody else. I've told people this before, and I'll stand by it. There are people that you can lead to Christ that I never will. So many times people think, well, just because you're a pastor, it's like you've got this uh, special ability to where everybody, listen, not everybody's going to listen to a pastor. As a matter of fact, there's probably less. One of the best statistics that I throw out there at our kids, and I don't know if it's changed or not since I saw it last, and not only to our kids, but I, I give it to our adults too. Only 6% of people that a pastor invites to church will come. But 84% of people that are invited by a church member will come. So that right there tells you the influence of how people listen. You have a circle of influence. So understand that, yes, James is talking about the idea of a teacher here, someone who is, you know... uh, articulating the word of God, sharing the gospel. But listen, we do that in our own lives day to day too. You do it in your workplace. You do it in your family. So that's why this is so important. It's not just that this is geared towards preachers, teachers, whatever it may be. James is just talking about that. And we need to keep that in the context. But here's the thing, what I'm going to tell you. You're a preacher and a teacher to your circle of influence. Okay? Because that's the whole point of what it is when we know we have an opportunity to speak into somebody's life. It's what you're doing. Every one of us who are disciples of Christ, followers of Christ, are preachers and teachers. Because the Great Commission did not say only pastors go and make disciples. It said everyone, as you are daily going, go and make disciples. So all of us, all of us have that ability. All right? Now, it's not so much that a person's tongue can cause problems with others and in the church, which it can. But here's where I want us to go. James is talking more about the damage our tongue can do in our own lives. All right? James is talking more about the damage that our tongue can do in our own lives. The context James has been referring to in this chapter has been all about the individual. All right? You go back and you, again, you look at the first verse. Here's what One commentator said, his name is Lee. He said, an uncontrolled tongue is a source of great destruction. Just as a little flame can destroy a huge forest, a small misuse of the tongue can cause pain and agony. I remember when I was in Korea in the military, I had a weapon. It was an M249 fully automatic machine gun. That was a bad gun belt fed I believe if I'm not mistaken could shoot right around could shoot right around 500 rounds a minute and I remember we went to this shooting range and of course when you have a weapon like that it's not that you're actually shooting at a target per se because you would destroy the target what you're doing is you're you're utilizing the width and the breadth of what this gun can do and I remember when we went to the range. One thing that if you know anything about this weapon, the barrel can get real hot. But it's not just that the barrel can get hot. Whenever the bullets come out and the bullets hit, you know, of course, there's an explosion and it's heat as well. Well, we went to the range and unfortunately, the range had some dry grass. And I remember that we were, um, you know, it was my turn to be able to fire and... You know, I done mine, then here comes another guy. 
And I remember while we were sitting there, all of a sudden we saw, you know, and, and understand that when, when you're shooting and it's around 500 rounds a minute, there is all kinds of debris coming up as well. Because uh, if you're shooting into a, uh, like a uh, mountainside, there's going to be all kinds of dirt flying and all that kind of stuff. We started noticing, though, that there was something a little bit different. There was a, a small spark had been started. And we found out really quickly that we had messed up. We didn't have any fire extinguishers in our Humvees. So we had to go out there with rubber mats and try to begin to, to stamp out a fire that got started from one little bullet. And I'm going to tell you, that dry grass lit quick. And it's amazing how that all it needs is just maybe a little breath of wind and that fire can just go. And what I want to be able to help us to understand with this, what is James really talking about here? When James is talking about, yes, our, our tongue can bring damage into other people's lives, and man, it's so easy to go there when we're talking about gossip and we're talking about these different things, but what is James really talking about? I'm going to tell you what I really believe he's talking about, and it's because you see it all in verse 6. I believe James is talking about pride. What destroys more men called to preach the gospel than pride? You can't find me anything. Oh, Pastor, I'm, Jeremiah, it's lust. Well, where does lust come from? Lust comes from pride. Every sin, I, I'm going to tell you this. Go back and look at every sin that you can find in Scripture. Look at every sin in your life and tell me this. Do they not all boil back down to pride? Every sin we have comes back to pride, and here's why. When I sin, I'm telling God, you're not sufficient, and I am. And what I want is. That's prideful. And I believe that that's what James is talking about here. Because what happens whenever a man who is a preacher or teacher of the word becomes prideful? They say really stupid stuff. My wife was telling me an example yesterday about a guy who was preaching. And I'm going to use that term as loosely as I possibly can. At a conference and it was recorded. And this guy stands up and he is at a conference and he's preaching and this was his statement. He said, you know, we need to make sure that we quit showing sympathy to women who are raped. And here's why. Because women dress a certain way and they deserve to be raped. If a woman's going to show her body and a woman's going to wear clothes in a way that invites somebody to come, then they deserve what they get. Good Lord. And my wife told me that underneath the video there was all kinds of comments and there was a, of these women who had actually been raped. And one woman said, I was wearing a pair of blue jeans and a sweatshirt. Another was a young girl and said, I was wearing my pajamas when someone come into my bedroom and raped me. But why in the world would a man who calls himself a man of God stand behind an opportunity of a pul behind a pulpit with an opportunity to be able 
to declare God's word and he stands up and he says something like that. Here's what I told him. Because my wife asked me, she said, Jeremiah, how in the world could, could a man who calls himself a preacher say that? I said, let me tell you why. He struggles with lust. See, what we do is we portray our sins onto other people. So whatever you're struggling with internally, that's what you fight against the most. Have you ever noticed that people who deal with pride can't stand other people that have pride? This guy, the reason why he's struggling with what he's struggling with, he has lust issues. And so this is his way, rather than repenting and dealing with his lust issues, he's able to just portray that onto somebody else. And he's saying, oh, these women deserve it. Nobody deserves that. But yet, because he's dealing with these sinful issues in and of himself, and he has too much pride to repent, he's going to say something really ignorant. And see, what James is talking about here, look what he says. So too the tongue is a small part of the body. It boasts great things. Again, that's prideful. Consider how a small fire set ablaze, or sets ablaze a large forest. All you have to do is be able to say something really stupid right now. And I'm telling you, it can go viral in a minute. And isn't it amazing how many men who call themselves preachers because they want to have that viral moment or because they want to be well-known or because they want to get as many views and as many likes, they'll try to skirt that line of danger. To say something just edgy enough to be able to get a response. Let's look in verse 6 because here's not only do we see the idea and the concept of pride in verse 5, but I want to show you in verse 6. Look what James says. And the tongue is a fire. The tongue is a world of unrighteousness. And now, before, we, before I dive into each one, I want you to look at this. James is going to give very specific displays here. The tongue, first of all, is a world of unrighteousness. Number two, it stains the whole body. Number three, it sets the course of life on fire. And number four, it is set on fire by hell itself. That's what we're going to look at. I want us to look at these four displays of wording and show what James is talking about and how that it affects our lives. Because again, we can sit down and we can portray it on other people all that we want to. Listen, if I, if I go back to Matthew chapter 7 and I worry about the log in my own eye, trust me, I got... Plenty of work to do. I don't need to worry about the splinter in somebody else's eye. James is not telling us to look into somebody else's life here and say, hey, you know, you got issues and you got issues and talk about gossip. No, he's saying you need to look at your own life and look at your own pride and look at the own sins that you're dealing with. Because here's one of the things that can happen. We can convince our own selves with our tongue that, hey, I have no problems. My sin's not a big deal. Hey, other people have got it worse than I do. You know, I'm just... You can, you can, whatever phraseology you want to do. But James is going to show us the damage that can be done when pride comes into our life. I talked to a preacher here not long ago. And he, he preached, you know, because there's, there's so many different facets when it comes to uh, our culture today in, in sexuality and gender identity and all these different things. And he preached a sermon concerning, you know, that and, and talked about homosexuality and talked about all of the different, you know, phases um, that is out there and different things. And said somebody come up to him afterward and said, boy, I tell you, preacher, I am just so thankful to God you preached on that today. And, and that's the kind of stuff we need. He said, would you still be as excited if I preached on pride? 
He said the guy's eyes got, you know, like saucers. See, we love whenever the preacher preaches about something that we know we don't struggle with and we can amen that to death. We hate it when the preacher talks about our sin. And the problem is, is when we talk about pride, every one of us are dealing with that sin and every one of us fall prey to it. If you don't believe you fall prey to the sin of pride, I think you just answered your own question. My wife made the comment, and she's been married to one for over for 20 plus years. My wife said, I've never met an humble pastor yet. And my wife's met an awful lot of pastors in all of our travels and all the things that we've done. She said, I've never met an humble one yet. She said they have humble moments. All of us deal with pride. So the first one here, the tongue is a world of unrighteousness. So what does he mean there? I want to give you a passage of scripture. You can write it down. You can flip over there. It's in Matthew chapter 15. And Matthew 15, starting in verse 17, Jesus said, Don't you realize that whatever goes into the stomach passes into the stomach is eliminated? But what comes out of the mouth comes from the heart, and this defiles a person. Jesus says, Whatever's in your heart is going to come out of your mouth. If you are letting your life walk in being clothed in the righteousness of Christ and your heart is surrendered over to Jesus you're daily trying to follow him you're going to end up having more of Jesus come out of your mouth than not but if pride is what is in there I promise you you're going to have more come out of your mouth that's going to tell that you might not be a follower of Christ or that you are walking in sin right now unrepented sin and see this could be in a moment or this could be our lifestyle this is why it's so important this is why you have to be guarded as much as you can this is why Paul said I've got to die daily we've got to spend time with Jesus every single day to make sure that we are guarded that our heart is guarded that our words are guarded because all it takes is one moment all it takes is for you to have one moment to where something slips and it can damage you. It can damage your reputation. But also it could be a lifestyle. You could find that, that there's people that deal with pride significantly and it could be a lifestyle that they deal with. And what you find is that when we're not guarding our heart, I want you to listen to what I'm saying. Going back to what Jesus said here in Matthew. When we're not guarding our heart, I promise you, you won't guard your words. When you're not guarding your heart, you will not guard your words. That's why so many people think that they can say whatever they want to say today with no repercussions and no accountability. Because they're not guarding their heart. This Nimrod who gets up and says that women deserve to be raped, he's not guarding his heart. Because if he was, he would never say anything like that because that is horrible. And what happens is pride has got into his heart and pride is coming out of his mouth because he believes that he can say whatever he wants to say with no consequences whatsoever. I guarantee you that he wouldn't be able to sit down and say that to a woman who has had that happen to her. 
Because that changes the ball game. It's easy to sit back and be a keyboard warrior and say those things or stand behind a pulpit and say something and walk out and not have to have accountability. But not only is it a world of unrighteousness, but look what he says. It stains the whole body. When we don't have our hearts guarded, when we're not walking clothed in the righteousness of Christ and we're not guarding our heart and things come out of our mouth that are unrighteous, it puts a stain on our body. This refers to your life, your personality, and your reputation. Here's the thing. Many times others see it and we're, we're still blind to it. Many times other people will see and they'll be looking at your life and going, Oh my gosh, how in the world could he say something like that? And because we're so saturated in the pride in that moment, we can't see or understand it. I remember that, and you may say, Well, Jeremiah, you know, there's, there's grace. And there is. So I want, I want you to follow me here a minute. I'll give you an example. There was somebody that I highly respected as a pastor. I can remember that I would go to a lot of the conferences that he would teach and he would lead. And I can remember that, I'll be honest with you, I was kind of starstruck Because, I mean, he pastored a large church. I was still a young pastor. I I hadn't been in the ministry very long. And, you know, I kind of had that mentality of there's no way that if I walk up and try to, you know, shake his hand or whatever like that, that he's going to give me the time of day because I'm just, you know, old podunk Jeremiah. And I remember the first time that I went up and I seen him and I shook his hand and I started to ask him some questions. He sat there with me for 30 minutes while there was a line of people sitting behind me. Never once did he take his eyes off of me. Never once did he look around behind me like, hey, you know, shut up, guy. I've got to go back. I've got a bunch of people standing in line. He gave me his undivided attention. And when we got done, I told my wife, I said, there's two things that I learned. Number one, he seems just like any other guy. And number two, it said a whole lot about him that he was willing to give me his time, 30 minutes of his time. When there was a lot of guys behind me who was probably a lot more well-known than I was, pastored a whole lot larger churches than than I do and did. But he never made me feel beneath him in any way. But I remember that he would stand up and I mean, he would, you know, men, you need to guard yourselves. Men, you need to guard your heart. Men, you need to guard your marriage. Men, you need to date your wife. And men, you need to do this. And, you know, I remember writing this stuff down in my books. And I was like, I'm going to make sure that this is what I do. You know, I'm going to make sure that all this different stuff. And Guess what? He wasn't guarding his own heart. He morally failed. Everything he was telling me to make sure that I did, he wasn't doing himself.
you know what? That was a big hit. His reputation took a big hit with me. Because I'm sitting here and it's just like, how in the world are you going to sit here and tell me that I've got to do all of this stuff while while you were telling me that? You were out living a different life. And it was because of pride. When you listen to some of the things that he even said, it was, you know, I never thought it would happen to me. I never even thought that that was on my radar. But you can, you can get to the point to where you're so big and you're so lauded and, and even to the point you're so big in your own mind, you don't think that that's going to happen. And you know what? Here's what the worst part about this is. When it says it stains the whole body, this, it affects your testimony. Because you know what? Now I can't, I mean, and I'm just telling you from my perspective, I can't go back and listen to that guy now. Not that I'm saying that I can't show him grace and say that God still can't use him. Yeah. But I can't, I can't have him stand up there and tell me, you know what? You need to guard your marriage. It's like, dude, you didn't. You were telling me the whole time to guard my marriage while you were out living a different life. So his testimony has taken a hit. And see, the, the problem that we've got, and, and I want to make sure that I'm saying something right here, and it's going to come across ugly. I'm just going to go ahead and tell you. I know we're not perfect. I know there's none of us that are perfect. You follow me. I, I've told people this. You follow me long enough, you're going to see sins in my life. But here's the difference. When you walk around and you start telling other people how they need to live, you better buckle up. Because those same things that you're telling other people and you're trying to influence other people about, it's going to come back to you. See, that's why James is talking about this idea of being a teacher. Listen, not only, and please listen, not only are you going to be held more accountable for what you have to say when you stand before God, understand this. When Satan knows you have influence over other people, I promise you, he is going to wreak havoc on your life. Satan is going to find every possible way that he can to be able to cause you to have some type of fall. Whether it be morally, whether it be spiritually, whatever it may be, in order for you to have a stain on your testimony. Because here's the thing, when you have been up in front of people and you are saying all of these different things, I promise you, you're going to get a hit. You think about all these different... I mean, I was sitting here thinking about all these different men over the years. I've got so many books over here on my shelf right now. And I'll pull... And a lot of them are older. I like a lot more of the older books. But I'll pull out some of the older books and I'll see that some of these men who have fallen morally are the ones who have endorsed the book. Or they'll write the forward in the book or whatever it may be. And, and these were men that if you wrote a book years ago, you went after and it's like, hey, will you, will, you, will you just write a little note in my book so that way if somebody sees that, hey, so-and-so endorses my book, it's going to sell better. Well, now let's ask the question, are you glad they endorsed your book? Because look where they're at now. Look at the testimony. Look at the stain on their lives. And you, say, you may say, Jeremiah, you know, man, that's, that's hard-hearted. No, that's what Jesus is talking to us about. 
That's why this way is narrow. That's why he said it's a daily thing to deny yourself, pick up your cross, and follow me. I'm telling you, pride will get in and it will destroy us. And we don't think about that. We don't realize the damage that can be done. We don't realize how delicate the pastorate is or being a Sunday school teacher or even influencing your group of friends, co-workers, or family. Think of it from this perspective. Because I'm going to tell you, and I don't really care what you think about this, I'm a teetotaler. I'm also a former alcoholic. There's no such thing as a social drinker. So if you preachers out there listen to this and you think you can go out and have a beer or two and it's okay, you're wrong. You'll have to do spiritual gymnastics to go through the book of Proverbs and tell me that it's okay to drink alcohol. That's a whole other conversation we'll have. But do you realize the damage that you can do by sitting down and telling other people they need to do stuff and especially that they don't need to drink or whatever and then you go out and you're sitting at the restaurant and you're having you a good drink? What is that going to look like? What would you do if I'm standing behind the pulpit on a Sunday morning and saying, you know what, you should abstain from alcohol and all this stuff and then you see me and my wine, my wife and she's having a glass of wine and I'm having me a beer over at steak. Is that not going to affect the way you think about me the next Sunday morning? Yes, it will. You're a liar if you say it won't. And see, that's the problem that we have. We spend so much time trying to tell others how to live their lives and then we don't make sure that we're guarded ourselves. Because we don't realize the damage that it can do. And so we, we just allow pride to just kind of take over, which brings us to the next part. Not only does it cause us to have a world of unrighteousness, not only does it stain our body, stain our testimony, Look what the next one says. It sets it, uh, it sets the course of life on fire. Here's what Stulak said. He said, James refers to this with a phrase that is unique in all of biblical literature. Its literal meaning would be a wheel of existence or wheel of human origin. James uses it as a figure of expression to mean the whole course of life. Here's what James is really saying when he says that our words and our tongue can start a fire in our own lives that sets the course of life on fire. This is showing that it's far-reaching in its results and its damage. An uncontrolled tongue can alter the trajectory of your whole life. An uncontrolled tongue can alter the trajectory of your whole life. And your whole life can be a, a course of fire. It's even like the idea of, of just burning bridges. You know, there's some people, that's what they do. They don't just burn the bridge, they nuke the bridge. They can't have relationships because they have to be in control. Their pride will not allow them to be able to be in relationships with other people. And just when one thing goes wrong, they burn that bridge. And they're known for that. Some people are known for anger. Some people, they cannot control their tongue and they are just known as an angry, bitter person. Some people are critical. Every time you're around them, they are just so judgmental and critical of everyone. 
That's what this is talking about. When we don't allow our tongue to be controlled, it can set and alter the whole trajectory of our lives and we will be known as that. And you know those kind of people. You know those kind of people that I'm talking about right now that are that they are known to just be critical. They're known to be judgmental. They're known to be arrogant. They're known to be ugly and mean and harsh. You also know the same people who are gentle and kind, have humility. That their, their words are are always encouraging and their words bring peace. Those are people that guard their heart. Those are people that surrender themselves over and want the Lord to direct their life and their language. Our words can either build people up or tear them down. They can either bring life or bring death. We talked about that last week. And what we have to understand is that people are are truly listening for your words. But here's something else to really keep in mind. People are also trying to hear what they want to hear. Which is why it's so important that you guard what you say. Because if you're just loose with your language and you're loose with what you say, people can take it and interpret it however they want to. People can take it and misconstrue it however that they want to. And if you're not guarding it, if you're not looking at your life and you're not making sure that what you say is guarded, I'm going to tell you, people will take whatever you say and run with it. I've had that happen to me and thank the Lord that the sermon was recorded. But I had somebody come up and accuse me of saying something from the pulpit. And I'm like, that is not at all what I said. Oh, yes, it is. I heard it. I said, well, then let's go back and let's listen to the sermon. (laughs) And that's not at all what I said. That's how they interpreted what I said. And I said, that's a big difference right there. That's not at all what I said. You interpreted it a certain way. And I can't help how you interpret things. But if you're going based on, this is what I said, I did not say what you're accusing me of saying. Now, you want to accuse me and and say that this is how you interpret it? That's a whole other discussion. But don't you dare slander me by saying that I, I said something that I didn't. Because I'm going to tell you, had I been found guilty, that would have been an awful hard thing to to overcome in, in the ministry. And that's why we have to be very mindful about what we say. Because I'm going to tell you, it, it, can, it can do a lot of damage. And we have to be very careful daily because here's the thing. Pride can, can really rock us to sleep. And we can get to the point to where pride has so overtaken us that we don't even really think about what we say anymore. But here's the worst part. We don't even care about what we say and how it affects other people. That's how that our tongue can really alter the trajectory of our lives is we can get to the point to where we are so above maybe others. Our pride has caused us to think more highly of ourselves than we ought to. And then here's what happens. 
we begin to say things and we don't care how that it, it falls. We don't care how that other people receive it. And we get to the point to where we're known as someone who does not care. But then here's the last one. The tongue itself is set on fire by hell. Go back to James chapter 1 verse 14. James says, But each person is tempted when he is drawn away and enticed by his own evil desire. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is fully grown, it gives birth to death. See, James is telling us that left in and of ourselves, man, that evilness is going to come out. And when we don't allow ourselves to die daily, when we don't allow ourselves to surrender daily, when we're not willing to each and every single day deny ourselves, pick up our cross, and follow after Christ... All we're doing is giving opportunity for the enemy to bring up fleshly desires. And I promise you, my fleshly desires do not fall in line with God. They only fall in line with the enemy. See, the true origin of the tongue's power to destroy me comes from within me. That pride comes from within me. It's, 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 it's innate within me. You know, you go all the way back to, you know, I've got my sons now, I've got 114 and 18. When they got to that point of being a toddler, you never had to teach a toddler to do wrong. You never had to teach a toddler the word mine. Every time they were around another kid with a toy, that's mine, mine, mine. You never had to teach them to be self-centered and selfish. You take something away from them and I mean they burst into hysterical tears. You tell them no. And they fall apart. Why? Because we have pride built within us. We have self-centeredness built within us. And unless we surrender that to the Lord every day and let it be killed, I promise you it's going to come up tomorrow. It's like the villain in a horror movie. It won't die. See, all of us have this evil nature within us that apart from being committed and surrendered to Jesus every single day is going to come out and try to show itself. It's going to come out and try to, to, to take over. It's going to try to attack. It's going to try to protect. Why? Because that's what we do. That's one of the things that as human beings we want to make sure we're taken care of. And so what happens is, is whenever we have an opportunity, we're going to put somebody else down. When we have an opportunity, we're going to elevate ourselves. That's why being critical, it's a whole lot easier to be critical of somebody than it is encouraging of somebody. It's a whole lot easier to put somebody down than it is to lift somebody up. It's a whole lot easier to look at somebody and find their faults and flaws than it is to encourage them and to try to find ways to, to come alongside and edify them. 
It's a whole lot easier to look at yourself and not see anything wrong and look at others and find all kinds of glaring faults. It's a whole lot easier to say whatever you want to say than it is to care about others' feelings. Well, I'm just speaking the truth. Well, the Bible tells us we are to speak the truth in love. You don't have to be mean, brash, or bold to speak the truth. For some reason, and I'm sorry to say this, but especially here in the South, people think that in order to speak the truth, you've got to be mean, unkind, harsh, and bold. No, you don't. You can speak the truth in gentleness, kindness, and love. The only reason that you want to or believe that you need to speak the truth with boldness, harshness, unkindness is because that's who you are deep down inside your heart. And you're just using the excuse of, I'm telling you the truth and I'm just blunt and bold. No, you're unkind, mean, and cold-hearted. There's a big difference. You're not modeling Jesus if you don't care about what other people think and what other people feel and how your words affect them. So from this passage of Scripture, James is telling us we need to look within more than we look without. We need to make sure that each day that we're surrendering our pride, our heart, our wants to the Lord so that way they don't come out. We're surrendering all this over daily so that way we're, we're, we're trying to be clothed in Christ's righteousness. We're trying to make sure that we're not stained by what our words can do to somebody else. We're trying to make sure that the course and the trajectory of my life is not set on fire from hell, but set on fire for serving the Lord. And we need to make sure that it's the Holy Spirit that guides and directs our words, not my pridefulness in my own heart. So I pray this has been a challenge to you. I pray it's been an encouragement. I pray that it's given you something to think about. And I pray that it's going to help you to be able to look at your own self before you look at other people. I pray that it does the same thing with me. I pray that it causes me to sit down and, and make sure that I understand that my words, they carry a lot of weight. And you got to make sure that when you're saying things and you're doing things that it's done in the proper format. It's being led by the Holy Spirit. What I pray most of all is that you understand that if you don't know Jesus as your personal Savior, that you know that Jesus loved you enough to die on a cross in your place in order to be able to pay your sin debt because every one of us have it. And Jesus paid your sin debt. He paid mine. He paid everybody's sin debt because there's no other way that we could be able to get to God apart from Jesus. John 14, 6, Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes unto the Father except through me. He is the only way of salvation. Salvation is understanding you're a sinner, you repent of your sins, and you trust Jesus as your Lord and Savior. I encourage you to find somebody who's a Bible-believing Christian. Talk to them about what it means to be saved today. Also encourage you, if this podcast has been a blessing to you, an encouragement, give it a five-star rating on whatever platform you listen to it. Leave a review. Help it get out there a little bit more. Share it with somebody. Give them the link to it. Also, if you're looking for a book to be able to help 
when it comes to spiritual warfare and some of the, the methods of Satan. I've written a book called The Reality of the Enemy. I encourage you to pick that up. It's a real easy study. You can even use it for a morning devotion in the way that it's set up. I wrote it that way specifically so that the chapters are really small. It's not a long book. I think it's only 60-some pages. Um, but I hope that it would be something that could give you some insight when it comes to spiritual warfare. And you can pick it up on Amazon uh, or you can pick it up at barnesandnoble.com and uh, would greatly appreciate it. Uh, also, to be able to give that for somebody you know might be struggling in spiritual warfare, you can buy it for them and get it, get it to them and be able to help them. So pray this has been a blessing. Look forward to getting back into our time later this week. Pray you have a blessed, wonderful day.